Hello everybody and welcome to another edition of Men in Stripes. This is Matthew Wilson and we actually kind of have a little thing that's a different because Tim is off tonight. Unfortunately he is sick so we hope he gets better. But instead of just one Tim we have two people. Wow we brought back Casey and we brought in writer Brian Dugan. How are you guys doing? Doing pretty well Matt. How about yourself? Doing great Matt. Happy to be here. I'm doing good as well. So let's jump into it. First, kind of the big news coming out of uh, at least the former Bengals camp uh, would be Reggie Nelson going to Oakland. Uh, seeing that news, kind of what we'll, we'll start with Brian since he's a little bit new to this whole thing. Uh, Brian, what are your thoughts on Reggie Nelson uh, leaving Cincinnati for Oakland? Well, I mean, it's a, I think it's a twofold thing. I mean, the first thing is, you know, let's not deny what Reggie brought to Cincinnati with the Bengals. I mean, you're talking about a guy who has been a consistent player since he came over from Jacksonville and um, really has done well against, in, you know, against the NAOC North rivals, including the Steelers, and um, provided just great support there on the back end. So that's the first part of it. But the second part is I think he just – got a little old <laughs> and it's uh he's moving on to a team that he's really on the back end of, the end of his career he even said so himself i believe in something i was reading where he uh didn't show a lot of interest a lot of the team showed a lot of interest in him no, because I, of that absolutely i mean age is probably the biggest thing uh casey what are your thoughts Hey, uh, losing Reggie Nelson, it was coming. We could all see it coming after they hadn't signed him initially. And, I mean, keeping Iloco is definitely the smarter decision than keeping an aging Nelson. But there is quite a void now in that secondary. I mean, he was a leader. He's been a captain, I think, twice now for the defense. So, I mean, that's going to be a big void and big shoes to fill for Sean Williams. Well, absolutely. And bringing up Sean Williams, uh, we'll, we'll go to you, Casey, first. Uh, how do you think his he kind of plays into uh, – Obviously, the Bengals' plans here going into 2016. Well, I mean, initially at the beginning of the 2015 season, I was really worried about his uh, capabilities to replace Reggie Nelson. But I think he showed down the stretch that he's definitely got the potential and the abilities to play at a high level in the NFL. Yeah, no, he filled in very well uh, for, uh, for Reggie Nelson, especially for the not big injuries that we saw from Reggie Nelson, but concussion and, and different things that way. Uh, Brian, Sean Williams, of course, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but he was kind of the target that was, it was between him and George Iloka for that strong safety position, and uh, ultimately George Iloka won the position. So does that make you concerned that uh, Sean Williams won't live up to what Reggie Nelson did uh, last season and, and even in 2014? Yeah, absolutely. I think you hit that right on the head. I mean, coming out of college, Sean Williams out of Georgia, four-year starter, uh, captain of the, you know, the defense, you know, 2013, his highlight tape coming into the NFL draft was unbelievable. I mean, just hitting guys left and right, breaking up passes. I mean, you'd watch the Bakari Rambo, <clears throat> excuse me, Bakari Rambo tape out of Georgia, and you couldn't help but notice Williams just jumping off the page. Um but coming into camp, I mean, he struggled. I mean, I can't—you can't deny that. Yeah, going through his progressions, I think I feel like, uh, you know, this this year he's done a lot better. You know, in 2015, he played a lot larger role than just on special teams or here and there. You know, made a huge interception against the Steelers. 
Um, but yeah, it's definitely a place of concern. I mean, can he replace that? Uh, is has yet to remain to be seen. So uh, I'd like to see in 2016 him step up a lot more and take more of that that leadership role. Now, another question that could come up there then would be, do you think that the Bengals possibly should take? And we've talked, of course, about them taking wide receiver in the first round. But should they maybe turn their focus towards a? Uh, a cornerback safety combo type in the uh, the first round instead, or do you think it's smarter for them to stay at wide receiver at this point? Um, from from what I'm thinking, I think wide receiver is definitely the place of need for the first round. I could see a safety slash corner, even that kind of hybrid position, maybe by the third round. Um, but first round still has to be offense. I mean, you you want to put as many possible weapons around a guy like Andy Dalton as you possibly can as it's shown that he thrives in that kind of situation and since we lost two in the offseason you know just number two and number you know three receivers that's a lot to replace so I I definitely think it's uh, still wide receiver I would agree I think wide receiver is definitely a position to go after in the first round but I'd actually see him taking a safety or corner or maybe a hybrid of the position in the second round because Sean Williams, while he looked fairly impressive last year, there's still a lot to be proven. So I'd be hesitant to just rely and say Sean Williams is our guy no matter what happens. No, absolutely. I mean, one thing that we know very well and we've seen in, in camp is competition brings out sometimes the best and worst of players. And so uh, it, it sometimes puts a question in my mind there would be, you know, we know – the age of somebody like an Adam Jones. Uh, and, and so, would something like a, a strong safety or maybe even free safety role be better fit for maybe even Jones, who then kind of has the freedom of coming over the top, having a little bit of a, a almost like a jump start on the receiver compared to a corner where he's trying to stride step for step for some of the faster receivers in the league? With him losing a step or two at his age, that'd actually be a great and pretty natural transition for him to move back there. And he's a lot more physical than some of the other corners the Bengals have tried to move to a safety in the past. So his physicality will really help him in that role. Yes, I definitely agree with that. I think that this is a move that is um, almost overdue. In a way, I mean, the Bengals just keep drafting corner after corner after corner between Denard and uh, Drake or Patrick, and, and it just seems like this was this would be the natural progression. Plus, I mean, if our goal is to still have him return punts as much as he does, uh, you know, you're talking about someone who's going to be taking 50 and 67, you know, uh, snaps a game going to be on the field for that many plays at a time. Uh, you know, it's, it's better that he plays in a position that maybe doesn't get as much uh, press as the corner position. No, absolutely. And, and that's kind of the, at least the first thing that popped into my head even going into that. And so that was kind of a spot-of-the-moment spot type uh, type thought. I, I'm surprised at myself. That doesn't happen with Tim. We need, we need to get you guys on more often. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, another thing come, kind of coming out from, uh, this time from the AFC North, RG3 had a press conference uh, on, uh, I believe Wednesday it was, uh, so yesterday, and uh, he came out during that press conference and said that he is the greatest quarterback in the game today, and he needs just to prove it to everybody else. Now, 
anybody who's followed the NFL for the past two years knows the struggles that RG3 has had in Washington. We know, obviously, the injury, and that really was a setback for him. But was it really Washington holding him back? Or is RG3 just kind of full of himself, full of himself at this point? Uh, Casey, let's start with you. RG3, where do you even begin? <laughs> I mean, coming out of college, everybody was all hyped on him, thinking he's going to be such a great player. You know, he's done such great stats in college. But I said he had Michael Vick syndrome. He's too small to play quarterback in the NFL. He tries to be mobile, and he just doesn't have the frame like a Cam Newton-style player who can take those hits. I mean, I did a, my latest article is coming out soon. It actually does a quarterback comparison using total quarterback value and a quarterback value like I had in the Kenny Anderson article. And it discusses how RG3, yeah, according to his like QBR, like his quarterback rating, he's actually pretty high. But that's such a limited amount of stats that it's laughable when he ends up second from the bottom in the actual list. Brian? Yeah, and like and like you said, I mean, where do you begin? I mean, and I think you hit on a great point about his size, but I mean the the level of work that I'd like to you know revisit here is when the uh, Bengals played Washington. Uh, I believe it was 2012 at Washington, and uh, the Bengals defense just ate up Robert Griffin the third. I mean, there was a play where Carlos Dunlap hit RG three, forced a sack and the fumble at the same time, and recovered it, and you just see this tiny guy on the field uh sprawl you know tiny for football terms he's not a small man but you know for football terms laying on the ground and i mean you, you bring him into the most physical division possibly in the nfl the afc north where andy dalton at six two and a half is the shortest quarterback you know by by a lot and he's saying he's could be the greatest ever i mean i, I mean i think he's biting off a little more than you can chew um, i'm not sure that he's going to have necessarily the weapons around him to be that great and I mean really he's going to have to keep it in check because real quick here I mean Hugh Jackson as his coach is a guy that supports his players and supports these kind of statements and he hasn't said a word about it so I think that part's very interesting as well no I think it's kind of funny maybe there's something in the water in Cleveland or maybe he's drinking whatever Johnny Manziel is drinking these days because it sounds a lot like he's got a little bit from Johnny football with his confidence and arrogance yeah, the only difference is he isn't flashing money signs in the air at this point. Uh, but uh, kind of going off the Andy Dalton thing, Andy Dalton came out, uh, uh, I forget exactly what day, but he came out and said how he isn't too worried about obviously having some new guys uh, lining up on the outside of the offense there. Uh, of course, A.J. Green still being there, but now having Brandon LaFell and then possibly a, a, a newbie with a draft pick. He thinks that uh, it's going to be, you know, work in progress, but a fairly easy transition for the offense uh, to adjust to that. W what are your guys' thoughts with, of course, Brandon LaFell coming in and then the possibility of bringing in draft picks? Do you think it's going to kind of give a, the Bengals a fresh new look, or is this something that may take them a step back? Yeah, I'll go ahead and uh, tackle this one here first. So to first answer the part about Andy Dalton saying, you know, how he's not that worried about the drop-off. I mean, you're talking about a guy who started his career with, uh, you know, Andre Caldwell and Jerome Simpson and Jermaine Gresham and then has moved up, 
you know, just more, more recently here to get Marvin Jones. I mean, keep in mind a fifth round pick out of Cal who I'm not sure a lot of people even had on their boards, you know, and, um, so to say that he is is not that worried about that, I actually believe him because he's kind of seen it all as far as the wide receiver position from, you know, James Wright filling in and uh, Armand Benz at one point. I mean, just the names just keep coming and coming at this position. So I, I think that it was nice to have the stability there, but I could definitely see him um, not having that fall off and, and really moving forward. And I think that you know, you have to trust the coaches, and I think that it says a lot about the front offense because if they can pick the right player, I mean, this the potential could be endless there. I feel like he shouldn't really be worried that much about who else is around him. There's only two big names he needs to worry about, and that's A.J. Green and Tyler Eifert. If you can keep Eifert and Green on the field, that's your one-two punch, regardless who else is lining up outside. I mean, as long as the person on the outside can draw at least one person in coverage – and it doesn't matter whether it's Brandon LaFell, a high draft pick, or who it is. As long as they're taking one person to get occupied and clear safety, if they go deep, opening up routes for both Eifert and Green. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Andy Dalton, at this point in, in his career, and I mean, granted, we're saying this point in his career, we're talking, you know, five years so far. Uh, he's really showed that, a sense of maturity when it comes to, you know, making decisions, especially last year before the injury. And so you really have to believe him until he proves you otherwise because every single year it seems now he's gotten just a little bit better and a little bit better. And so in some ways I think him taking the leadership role and him doing what he almost has done best, um, and, and, you know, last season – you kind of have to believe that he's going to lead this team, whoever he's throwing to, uh, you know, be it, of course, A.J. Green, Tyler Eifert, Brandon LaFell, or whoever, you know, ends up being the number three, whether it be James Wright or a, a draft pick that comes in. Uh, so I, I'm, in, I'm in agreement there. I think, I think it's a good statement to make at this point because I know there is still a lot of uncertainty in that Bengals camp uh, when it comes to that offense and uh, who the weapons are going to be. Uh, besides the uh, A.J. Green and Tyler Eifert. But it also kind of still proves that he's willing to lead this team. And, and that's something that, of course, we were sitting there wondering, okay, is the injury going to be a setback, or is he going to kind of pick up where he left off? It's going to be interesting to see how well he can rebound. I mean, this is a big injury on his throwing hand, so it's going to be interesting to see if he's able to actually overcome it and play to that same level. Because without an injury last season, he could have possibly been in contention. I know it would be an outside-looking-in shot, but a contention for an MVP. He was putting up the best numbers of his career. He was playing with more poise and confidence. I mean, I know he still struggled a little bit in prime time, but at least he was in most of the prime time ball games. Well, did we kind of see that... Uh... Maybe it's not so much him in, in, in prime time as it is kind of the players maybe even around him, uh, especially with what happened in Denver where they blew a 17 nothing lead to essentially uh, lose that game. Yeah, maybe just the stage fright of the whole team when it comes to prime time games. Yeah, there's no denying that it's, it's now a thing because – they uh, um, can't 
they can't seem to put it all together, whatever the reason is. I mean, like you mentioned, the Denver game, you know, was it, you know, 90 total yards in the second half, ending on, the game ending on a fumble, you know, the Arizona game where they inexplicably um, let Larry Fitzgerald get open on three throws down the field to get in field goal range to lose that game. It's just one after the other. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's definitely something there. So, with that too being said, you know, of course going into this season, you know, the Bengals are doing everything they can to forget 2015, at least how it ended. You know, there's definitely some high points they want to remember, but do you, how, how important is it for them to kind of forget how 2015 ended, move on from that, and to kind of getting into the next subject, with the Steelers kind of poking a little bit at uh, Vontez Perfect over Twitter, of course, uh, Brian, you you brought this up uh, on during one of our conversations today uh, with uh, D'Angelo Williams. You know how how important is it for Vontez Perfect to forget 2015 and how it ended, and, uh, and and really kind of move on into 2016. Yeah, I think that this is um, could be huge for them. It really depends on how they respond. Um, you know, the, of course, 2015 ended on an extremely weird emotional roller coaster. I think everyone can say that. Um, I think Bengals fans knew what it was like to win a playoff game for about 30 seconds before it was ripped away. And um, it really depends on how they respond. I mean, Burfick's going to be suspended. Um, you know, that's not going to change uh, for the first three games of the season, I believe, or four. I'm not is it three or four, one of the two, but the point is he's going to be suspended. And, uh, you know, the NFL schedule hasn't come out, but I'd be willing to bet, you know, that the one of the Steelers games, Bengals-Steelers games, is a primetime game. So they're really going to have to mind their P's and Q's. They're really going to have to keep things in order. Um, you know, the Bengals have to be above that. I mean, if they want to move on, they want to move to that next level, they have to be the team that doesn't stoop to that level and actually – uh, performs at a higher level and shows that they can do it. So I found first off, I'd like to say that it's pretty sad that grown men are trying to like poke at each other like children. But I mean, it's one of those issues where I think Vontez handled it very well. He didn't really respond in any way that was trying to, you know, provoke a response. He just kind of tried to shut the issue and say that he's moved on. And it's sad that uh, D'Angelo Williams has not. I mean, Perfect, this is, I mean, he's one of the best talents in the NFL when it comes to linebacker position. And it's just sad that he keeps letting his emotions get in the way and cost his team games. I mean, he's got to step up and start acting like a, like a mature player, start acting like the leader that he needs to be for this team. I mean, I wouldn't say, you know, this season or he's out, but if he's going to continue to cost you games, at some point his talent's just not worth it. No, I mean, and. And I, I agree to a point. Obviously, he needs to he needs to you know mature on the field. We obviously see um, not only mature the maturity at least at this point off the field, but um, with with the tweet and with the interview from ESPN. But um, I, I think that if if Perfect is going to take the next step in this league and and continue to put up Pro Bowl numbers, continue to be that kind of caliber of player. He has to, without a shadow of a doubt, grow up on the field as well. And, and so, um, my my estimation at this point, and this would probably just because how greedy the NFL is, 
I'm almost, and, and it's a three-game suspension, and that three-game suspension, I'm almost uh, betting that the Steelers game will be the primetime game in, like, week four or the fourth game that they play, whether it be week four or week five, uh, depending on how the schedule gets laid out, uh, against the Steelers. So kind of Vontez comes back against the Steelers because in all reality, being a, market, or being a marketing person, that's, like, the ultimate marketing thing I could have as the NFL especially for Bengals fans and Steelers fans, is Vontez's first game back is against the Steelers. Um, and so I, I, I don't see the Steelers game happening. Uh, and, of course, they say these are the schedules computer-generated. I don't fully believe that. Uh, but it almost seems like the perfect storm there. And, and so we may find out quickly how past Vontez is about this uh this whole thing and uh, I mean if, if the composure holds well and, and really we find that the Steelers are really the grown children um, and of course for, for those who don't know by now I live in Pittsburgh and so uh, I deal with the Yenzers every day as they are so called here and, and so uh, it, it's, it's one of those things that I think uh, the NFL is going to take full advantage of um but Vontez has got to prove quickly uh, that he isn't the same guy uh, that we saw uh, against uh, Baltimore in, in Week 17 when he laid out, uh, who was it, Max Williams, I believe, um, their tight end. And so he's got to prove that, that he he's not going to let other people underneath his skin. So, yeah, I also, uh, yeah, ahead. I was going to just, just uh, you know, reflect on that a little bit. Absolutely. I mean, he has to, and the other thing too, is that these guys are going to take to Twitter. I mean, can they, can they work on their grammar a little bit <laughs> or how, you know, how is this going to work here? No, I'm, I'm joking, of course, but they, uh, you know, they need to be, you know, the bigger, I mean, why respond? Why, put, what, what good can come of it? You know, that's my thing. I mean, well, this season is uh, four months away from preseason. It's five months away from the regular season. Let's handle it on the field. Well, my, my, very good point. My favorite thing, because I'm on Twitter right now, um, taking a look, and uh, I think the best comment that I have is is the, oh, my bad, Le'Veon Bell is way better than D'Angelo Will- uh, Williams. Uh, and why am I talking to a backup? Let me stop. I like that, because... In, in all in all honesty, nobody really wanted D'Angelo Williams. Steelers took him, and all of a sudden he became this king of Pittsburgh. The only thing is, is the king of Pittsburgh was actually injured, and they just had to find a substitute. Yeah, he's trying to revitalize his career in a city that once their number one comes back, he's just probably going to be thrown aside. Yeah, and in all reality, it's a, it's a real it's almost the reality of things. I mean, he's he does have a place in Pittsburgh. As, as we kind of saw last year once Le'Veon went down, but his role will diminish greatly um, come week one and Le'Veon Bell's back on the field. Well, yeah, and he, I mean, you know, in, was injured down the stretch as well. So, I mean, old and injured is never a good combination for a running back. That's very true. Not to mention he has a picture of him with Connor McGregor. That 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 kind of makes my day because Conor McGregor is uh, is the man in UFC at least in my opinion. But then again, I am Irish, so that might get me in trouble. 
Uh, so let's reset re here real quick. Uh, this is Men in Stripes presented by StripeHype.com. Of course, you can find us on YouTube, Men in Stripes. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter, Men in Stripes SH. Uh, and so uh, for those who don't know, SH, of course, stands for Stripe Hype because uh, Men in Stripes was taken. Darn them. Uh, anyway, so kind of going in, of course, the preseason was released today, the schedule for the preseason for the Bengals. Um, I have had, I apologize, and I know we kind of talked about it a little bit. I had very limited time to actually see the preseason schedule um, with both working and, and everything else because, weirdly enough, they put a barracuda on me, uh, a.k.a. A, a firewall blocker on me searching things like this. Uh, so... I'm gonna I'm gonna go to you guys while I look this up. Uh, what are kind of your immediate reactions on how the preseason might help them kind of gear up for the 2016 season? I think it's gonna it's interesting how the preseason is gonna start with them playing against the Vikings and then playing against the Lions. So they're gonna get to see their former defensive coordinator, who's very well connected with the team and very well liked by the Cincinnati fans in general. And I know a lot of people are saying maybe promote Marvin Lewis to a general manager and let Mike Zimmer be the head coach. That didn't end up happening. But it's going to be very interesting to see how uh, how somebody who knows our offensive scheme so well, even though it's still a new scheme coming in, see how well we can react to his defense. And then uh, as far as Detroit the next week, we could say hello to Marvin Jones in a new uniform pretty quickly. Yeah, and uh, moving on from there, too, I mean, that's a very great point. I mean, they're, they're at home against Minnesota at Detroit, and then they have a Sunday night game at Jacksonville. And, again, this is a team that needs to get used to playing in prime time because when you win the AFC North and you go 12-4 and four, and you have a playoff game like you did last year and an unwritten finish story written by Andy Dalton last season, you're going to be in prime time a lot this year. So it starts in week three. I mean, that's the game that's considered the dress rehearsal for the regular season against a Jacksonville team that, who knows? I mean, they could be on the up and up. They could be right where they're at from last year. You think Blake Bortles will be making that step in the next direction, you know, the right direction moving forward, leading that team. And we really don't know who they're uh, going to draft because they seem to be all over the board. So it could be a very interesting game, to say the least, for both teams. Well, and two, and looking at the schedule right now, they have their almost kind of preemptive annual game against the Indianapolis Colts, uh, which seems odd because this would be, if not the fourth year, it is at least the third year straight that they face the Colts in, in, in the preseason. So, um, you know, obviously we saw where Andrew Luck was last year and we saw kind of where that Indianapolis team ended up last year. Um Jacksonville, the Saturday night football game at Jacksonville is kind of intriguing to me. And it's intriguing to me for a couple of reasons. Number one, obviously, as you said, you know, watching Blake Bortles and seeing where this team kind of goes. And uh, so, uh, you know, Jacksonville is kind of a, a nice warm-up game, especially getting used to some of the younger guys. Um, of course, having talented uh, or talent in uh, – and Hearns down there, um, and obviously not knowing who any of the teams are going to draft at this point. Uh, so, I will say this, it's at least a warmer start for them uh, <laughs> down there. Uh, Detroit, I would have loved to have that game in Cincinnati. I would have loved for it to be at least a kind of a homecoming, at least in the preseason for, for Marvin Jones. But, uh, 
they kept it at Detroit. So I, I'm not, I'm, I'm not too sad because at least we get to see kind of, at least a, a base role for how they're going to play with Marvin Jones and, and, and everybody up there, how they're going to line up their wide receiver one, wide receiver two, uh, especially with both not really being a full uh, true wide receiver one. Uh, and, of course, as you said, Minnesota, we always love seeing uh, Mike Zimmer, and you touched on probably the touchiest subject with me, and that's I truly do believe Marvin Lewis should be the GM. Uh, but... Any which way we look at it, he's not. So, uh, But with that being said, too, do you think that the schedule that they've lined up here will give us a good enough look at maybe the guys that will be kind of on the border, like a Margus Hunt um, and, you know, dare I, I say it, but even a Hardison. Um, do you think that's a good enough schedule to take a look and really decide should those guys really be a part of this team this year or – do you think this is just kind of, it's preseason, preseason means about nothing? I think this schedule will be actually pretty pretty good start for the preseason. I think it'll help them progress week to week, you know, seeing some familiar faces, not being too super worried about, you know, playing anybody that'd be too tough in my opinion. And then I also think that, you know, moving to Jacksonville for a primetime game should be a fairly winnable dress rehearsal for them. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you on that one. Um, I think that, you know, you have the Sunday night game in Jacksonville. That's the dress rehearsal. And then you turn around, come home, have to play Indy. That's usually like a Thursday night game or a Friday night game. And then the roster has to be cut down to 53 by that Sunday. So that's a lot of player evaluation that we're all going to get to see firsthand within a 7- to 10-day period. Not only that, but I believe that last preseason game is technically Indy's fifth because I believe they're playing in the uh, the uh, um, Hall of Fame game. Uh, so really, that game is going to be a chance for a lot of different players the Bengals normally wouldn't be able to get to look at to evaluate to be able to do that so they can make the best roster decision. I like that a lot. So talking a little bit to, uh, I know we touched on it a little bit with the idea of who they should pick in the draft. Um you know, we know that the, the Bengals brought in or at least went to go see Braxton Miller and uh, Michael Thomas work out. Uh, and, of course, both are, are coveted Ohio State guys. Um, we talked about, of course, first round needing to be wide receiver. Braxton Miller, to me, is not a first round wide receiver. So, kind of interesting that he was there. But... At the same time, what are your thought process processes on, you know, a Michael Thomas and, and, and even, you know, versus a Braxton Miller? Let's say, go ahead, Brian. Yeah, I think that, um, you know, the bevy of talent at Ohio State speaks for itself. I mean, you're talking about a 
a team that is just well coached, has tons of talent from top to bottom, has the top recruiting classes from 2016, 2017, even in 2018. Um, you're talking about a coach that's not afraid to go get the talent from other states. So what happens is as these guys mature and you have a guy like Miller who, you know, is from Wayne High School, played in, in Huber Heights, Ohio, you know, played um, his whole career in Ohio, he's, he's going to have a lot of fans, a lot of following. So I think that it, it speaks to what the Bengals are trying to do in-house. But, I mean, moving into the AFC North a little bit too, the Steelers just are have Ohio State Buckeyes all over the – all over the team. So it wouldn't surprise me if they were, you know, out to get a few themselves. I feel like the, the Bengals and the whole league might put a little bit too much emphasis on Ohio State. I do feel like they have very talented receivers, but at the same point, only one team is going to be able to draft, you know, Thomas. And then as far as Braxton Miller, he's first-round talent. He's somebody that, I mean, honestly, with what he has right now shown, maybe fourth round at the earliest. I feel like there's a lot of other quality receivers that they could go after. I mean, as far as, I mean, I really like uh, Corey Coleman. I think he offers a lot of potential there, as well as uh, Josh Doxson. He has explosive ability, and they're two guys that are a little bit more under the radar since they're not, you know, Ohio State caliber people. No, absolutely. I mean, and, and I'm huge on Josh Doxson. As, we, uh, as, as anybody who listened to last week, Tim and I talked about, uh, I like the fact, number one, he – he has played in a similar system to what Andy Dalton had. And so it, it almost kind of eliminates a little bit of a, a learning curve there. Of course, during TCU's Pro Day, Andy Dalton was throwing to Josh Dotson. So we've seen that the two have a little bit of chemistry. The two have thrown, uh, thrown back and forth a little bit. And, and so there's almost kind of a piece there that says, okay, that's probably, at least to me, the best fit. Uh, at least from a team standpoint. Of course, we know athletically that uh, there is uh, Corey Coleman and, and even at this point until he's off the board, uh, Laquan Treadwell, who are both maybe a little bit more physically uh, better to say. But as we've seen in the past, physically better isn't always the best option. It's, it's about the chemistry that a quarterback has with his wide receivers. And so, you know, to me, I like, as I said, I, I like Michael Thomas. I'm not huge on Braxton Miller. I think he's overrated. Uh, I think, I, I'm kind of right there, uh, I believe Casey, you said it. Um, he is, a, to me, a later round draft pick. And I think, though, he's going to go second to third round. I think he's going to go in the second day. And, and so, to me, I just don't like that pick. Um, granted, he's an Ohio guy. That's awesome. Uh, we always like to see Ohio guys, you know, do well and be successful. But at this point in time, what's going to give us the best chance for a championship? What's going to give us the best chance to at least win uh, not only the division, but maybe even get to that first round by, get past that first round, and hopefully at least make it to the, to the AOC championship game, if not, of course, the Super Bowl. Yeah, and I just touch on your point too. I do think it's interesting that Dalton was at the TCU TCU Pro Day. Now Dalton is a, a Texan. I mean, he's you know born and raised in Katy. You know, went to TCU. I mean, he's a Texas guy, and that he was at the Pro Day throwing in the ball. You know, it's kind of like, are you petitioning for him? Or do you, do you already like what you see with this guy? 
you know, if it's Dalton's offense and he should have a little bit of say in what – now I'm not saying he should be up in the draft room saying, oh, yeah, let's get this guy, let's get that guy. But if he can, you know, make some headway and say, hey, you know, I really like throwing this guy, give him an opinion, or, you know what, this guy just wasn't reading, you know, the ball coming out of my hand at all. You know, this would be a lot of work. It, it may, maybe here and there might get him some pointers. But, yeah, I, I think that that would be a really neat thing to see, especially a guy with his uh, talent, being Doxon there at the uh, 24th pick. I feel like with a spot at number 24, there's going to be at least one of the top five receivers available. So if we don't walk away with a quality product, it's going to be another bust category, which we've had several busts in the first round with receivers who could forget Peter Warwick. But I feel like this could be a very good year for the Bengals, and they have enough talent on the board. Why not a top wide receiver class as we've seen in other years? It is a very talented one. Absolutely. So, We'll reset one more time. This is Men in Stripes, presented by StripePipe.com. Uh, first off, gentlemen, before we get to our last segment, thank you guys so much for joining us, especially on short notice uh, t- tonight. And uh, so we really do appreciate it. I know uh, Tim wanted to be here. Him and I had talked about it all week. But uh, this is why Stripe Pipe is so awesome, because we have uh, writers and we have contributors who step up at every aspect for of course their 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 teammates as i like to call it but you know other writers and shooters of course when uh, when they're down so thank you guys for being here thank you for filling in so are you both ready for picking up or putting down i was born ready man <laughs> let's do this all right so first thing at least that i have is picking up or putting down there's been a few rumors out there of trades in picks that could potentially happen. Picking up or putting down, Bengals will make a trade at some point in the draft to gain more picks. Brian. Well, I think I'm going to have to put that one down. Oh, I just don't really see the potential of who are they going to trade away to get a quality pick. I think with the lack of talent at the positions that they need in this year's draft class, I mean, there's still, like we talked about, the wide receiver core has some good talent, but that's near the top of the list. As you get further and further down, I mean, if you were trading to get a fourth, fifth, or sixth, or seventh even round pick, it's not going to be a good enough return on investment to make it worthwhile, so I'm putting it down. And and I I totally agree. I'm putting down as well. I feel like, um, you know, this year they're going to be set with the picks they have. I feel like next year... You know, if we can look that far ahead, they're going to get several compensatory picks for the, the uh, free agents from this year. So I, I, they're not a team that makes a lot of any kind of moves at all. So I don't think this year will be any different. Do you think, well, and this is kind of a follow-up then. Um, do you all think that it may, and, and we'll start with you, Brian, uh, that it may, may have made a mistake with not pursuing more towards uh, an A.J. McCarron trade? to pick up something, whether it be a pick or a, a player that could fill a need. Well, yeah, to, to speak to that point, I think that if the Bengals aren't at least entertaining offers for A.J. McCarron, I think that that's would be really uh, bad on their part. But, I mean, you kind of have to look at who would be offering, you know, Denver with 31, you know, the second-round pick, the same thing at the end of the second round. So really not a lot of value there. Um 
but I just feel like the Bengals have this are a stick in the mud team when it comes to you know their own talent, developing their own talent, keeping their own guys, promoting in house. I mean, it's just everything says a we're not coming off McCarron and b we're not trading in the draft. I I think trading McCarron would be a big mistake. I know Dalton's only missed like the last little bit of last season. Otherwise, he's been healthy and at every game. Not that he's old, but he is getting older, and once you start having an injury, especially to an area like a hand, it can be a reoccurring injury. And I think what Karen showed last season, that he could be a really solid backup and I mean, possibly a, a very successful starter if he ever really got the opportunity. Now you're sounding like Pittsburgh fans with Ben Roethlisberger. <laughs> Hate to say that, but that that reminds me, I, I always hear, well, Ben Roethlisberger is getting older. They need to pick, They need to pick somebody else up. Uh, to, to fill in there uh, but no I fully agree I, I think Agent McCarron is a huge asset to this team something happens to, to Andy Dalton because I mean if you look at some of the things that happened like even RG3 we'll use that as an extreme um, he was really never the same after a knee injury Andy Dalton if you think about it could be one hit away from a, knee, uh, a severe knee injury and, and, or even a, a, another severe hand injury and so Having somebody like that that can step up and even come into a starting role is a huge luxury, and they got him cheap. Because what they got him fifth round. Yep. So, fifth round. So so I mean, you're looking at something that is in, an incredibly great pickup, a luxury to have. It's going to be sad if he is if 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 of course he leaves in free agency because he is a good backup. But it's going to be interesting to see is he just basically a. a, a great backup and a terrible or a kind of a mediocre starter or is he going to be a great starter so uh definitely something to kind of contemplate there is as it gets closer to him hitting free agency which uh will be if i'm not mistaken in two years so next one picking up or putting down we'll start with brian on this one brian sean williams will pick up right where reggie nelson left off last season you know, I'm, I am going to pick this one up. I, I, I am excited about Sean Williams. I think that he's a guy that could, you know, assuming, you know, barring injuries and things like that, you're really going to see what his youth, athleticism, speed, uh, you know, his his presence on the field from him being a captain in Georgia. I mean, his hard hits that, I mean, from what I've seen have just wowed me on the, you know, on, from a fan spot. I mean, yes, he has a lot to work on, but I think Iloka and him could be like the perfect complement back there. Iloka's a tall, lanky, athletic, you know, uh, center fielder almost. And I think that, like I said, that, you know, Williams with the right, you know, development could, could not only pick up where, where Nelson uh, left off, but, you know, have us even forget that he was on the team last year. I'm going to go ahead and <clears throat> disagree and put this one down. Now, I'm not saying Sean Williams is going to have a horrible season. Reggie Nelson was coming off of one of the best seasons any Bengals secondary member has ever had. I mean, he was a big influence as far as being a captain, which I think Williams could kind of roll into in the future. But I'd really say he's about a year away. He's not going to be able to quite fill those shoes, step up, be that fan favorite, be the person who makes that clutch interception or clutch a tackle or sack when needed. I think he's got the potential to be there. He's just not quite there yet. So he won't have a bad year. He's not going to just slip right in and be – the new Reggie Nelson. No, I, I'm, I'm, I'm putting this down just slightly as well. I think he is going to. 
I think he's itching to prove himself, and I think he's going to have a, a solid year. But, of course, by no means are we going to see seven, eight interceptions, um, double-digit pass deflections, um, you know, uh, four or five tackles for a loss, things like that. I, I think he's going to grow into the role, uh, unless they do something like what we talked about a little earlier, putting an Adam Jones kind of in that role, and maybe even testing how he does, especially with his youth, in maybe a, a cornerback role and kind of swapping the two. Um, but I think he's still going to have a successful year. It's just now a matter of how successful and how much growing does he need to do uh, really before, all in all, he really gets to that next level. So, of course, we always have to have fun with one. Uh, this was actually a uh, topic and even a question that was brought up by my coworker. So I'm going to ask it here. Uh, question on, on his mind was, will RG3 make it a complete season in Cleveland? Are you picking up or putting down that he will be the starter from game one to game 16? Casey? Uh, that, that's an obvious one. You got to put that one down easily. I mean... If they play Pittsburgh, Baltimore, and Cincinnati within the first five weeks of the season, he's not going to make it past game five. He's just, he hasn't put on enough muscle. His body type's not going to handle it, a pre-existing injury problem. And his confidence is horrible, and you're putting him with an offense that really has not done a whole lot to improve themselves. You're about the laughing stock of the AFC North for sure, if not the one of the laughing stocks of the league. And you pick up a guy to try to give him a second chance, and he's just, he doesn't have the cast around him in order that he needs in order to be successful. So, I mean, I don't see him either Cleveland's going to do their favorite thing and, you know, just, oh, you've had three bad games, we're going to throw you out, or else he's going to get roughed up by the AFC North and he's just going to be done. Yeah, I'm going to have to put this one down, too. I mean, I think a lot depends on the draft. Obviously, if they go with a quarterback uh, with a number two pick. But, I mean, the biggest complaint about RG3 besides – you know, injury prone and, and the erratic decisions and things is the fact that it was not so much a complaint, but the, the thing that we saw was he couldn't handle the field conditions that were terrible, you know, in Washington during that playoff game, which is why we got hurt in the first place. And I mean, you think about it, Cleveland from about October or so on, I mean, it, it looks about like my backyard, you know, kind of, kind of not green anymore, you know, kind of full of divots. And, I, I don't think that his uh, you know reconstructed constructed leg is going to uh, do all that well on that field, let alone like you said being chased down by the oh the elite of the NFL, which I believe to be the AFC North. I'm putting this down as well. I you know, and I think I think it's more injury than basically being benched. Uh, just because I I just don't see him completing a year healthy. Uh, but even at the end of it, you know, it, it comes down to two. I think if we've listened to enough of his his former teammates in, in Washington, you know, RG3 is about number one, and that is RG3. He is not about the team. He is not about the, the guys that are around him. And, and granted, he has Josh Gordon as long as Josh Gordon can remain clean. He has uh, uh, Andrew Hawkins, or Hawkins, who, uh, you know, obviously – is a, is a good number two wide receiver as we saw in Cincinnati, uh, even you know between the number two and number three there. And so it really comes down to, for me, 
the injury aspect. And, and so uh, I don't see that line holding up. We didn't see it hold up last year. And uh, all honesty, unless they go first round with, a, with an offensive lineman, which would, the only way I see that is if uh, you know Tennessee basically drops and, and some, the first pick goes to, uh, to somebody picking like a Jalen Ramsey or somebody like that. You know, Laramie Tunsil will be will be out, and that's the only other pick I could really see Cleveland going with to help protect any type of asset they get, whether it be a draft pick or RG three. If they if they lose Tunsil, I mean that's just another high pick <laughs> who yeah. did not make it for the Cleveland Browns. So yeah, it, it's it does not look good for him completely the entire season. So. I'm going to open this up because, Casey, uh, I apologize, and we, we, we finally get to get you back on the program because there's a reason we have it named Episode 3.2, and that is because 3.1 went totally AWOL missing in cyberspace. Uh, I am going to see, is there a picking up or putting down question that you have or that you can think of? Oh, it's a good question that I've actually had quite a few people talk, ask my opinion on. Is this the last chance for Marvin Lewis? If he does not win the big one this year, if at least a playoff game, is this the end of his career with the Bengals? So, put it down. You put it, you, you're putting down that this is his last year, or you putting down that he'll be with the Bengals in 2017? I'll, I'll wait and see what you guys say, and then I'll let you know. What I've been telling everybody. Okay, so so how are we going to start this? Picking up, if you think Marvin Lewis will be with the team in 2017. Putting down, if you think this is his last chance. If he doesn't do it, he's out. Yeah, but this is last chance is the question. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to pick up. I, I, I just can't see it happening. I, I've, I, I'm one of the few that that um, really thought that Lewis did a good job, you know, a couple of years ago, um, you know, with with the three road games that they played back-to-back-to-back, with, you know, losing players, you know, left and right, making great coaching decisions, and then they, coming in the last couple of years and into this year, you know, with a new offensive coordinator, I, I just can't see the Bengals getting rid of them. I mean, I thought for sure it was going to be after 2010, after the debacle that was with Terrell Owens and the fact they went four and twelve. <laughs> I thought if if anything it was going to happen then it never it never did. It still hasn't happened. I think Marvin's going to have to leave the game on his own to get out of Cincinnati. I'm going to I'm going to pick it up. I, I think Marvin Lewis is going to be there in seventeen, um, unless obviously they miss the playoffs and they miss it badly like they did in 2010. Because uh, this team has been moving forward with um, with this core group of guys. Of course, they lost a few, but they still have the core intact. Let's not forget that. Uh, so, unless something drastically changes with this team, I, I, I see him here in 17. I also think that if, if there's anything that he is, he is already kind of the GM in a way that he plays a very strong role in... Who comes in? Who put? Who is? Who is in Cincinnati? The players that are here, the players that are signed. We already know that guys like Adam Jones and uh, guys like George Iloka are here because of Marvin Lewis, and uh, we know that that they really respect what he does with this team. 
So for me, I think the player respect kind of raises Marvin Lewis to another level, especially in the Bengals' eyes. Because, in all honesty, if you watch the game, Paul Gunther and, uh, of course, last year Hugh Jackson really made a lot of the calls. All Marvin Lewis was was more of like the in-game type manager. And, and so things like timeouts, things like, um, you know, kind of how the, the, the almost the speed of the game was going was on Marvin Lewis. But the play calling and the working with the players on, on mistakes and things like that were really on the coordinators. And so to me, he's already kind of in that GM role just without the title. Um, if you watch the in-game type management stuff. So, you know, to me, I think the Bengals kind of see it as that. And so that kind of makes me think, unless something drastically happens with the record, he's going to be here in 17. It's now just a matter of what his title will be. Well, see, I agree. That's perfect, like, segue right into what I've been telling uh, everyone that's asked me this question. I feel like almost regardless how this season pans out, He's going to still be in Cincinnati, but I don't see him on the field. I see him moving up to the box and then bringing in a more young and enthusiastic head coach. But, I mean, Marvin Lewis at this point with the organization, he is pretty much the heart and soul of the organization. He's doing all the different jobs, wearing all the different hats. And I feel like at this point he would almost could be more successful and help the organization by stepping off the field but maintaining a good presence with the team and bringing in, a, like I said, a younger, more enthusiastic head coach. So kind of picking it up, kind of putting it down, but I know Marvin's still going to stay around in some capacity. So that brings up our final one because that made me think of another picking up, putting it, uh, putting it down question. And that is, if Marvin Lewis moves up to a, a, a GM role or if he's out of Cincinnati completely, picking up or putting down Paul Gunther would make a good next head coach for this Bengals team. I'm going to go ahead and put that one down. I just don't see – I think he's done a lot more – he's had more success than people thought. I know there's a lot of apprehension with him coming in once Zimmer left. But I just don't see his potential coming in as a head coach. I mean, I feel like we lost the guy, Hugh Jackson, who could have slid right in and been a very successful and strong head coach. So who do you think would be a better choice? Man, that's a very tough one. Can we convince Urban Meyer to come out of college football? Uh, I, I think uh, there's been plenty of teams try that one, and they, they failed miserably. So my guess is no. Uh, that's a toughie then. Well, then would somebody like we'll, – we'll even go to the offensive side. Somebody like a um, – who is it, Paul Alexander? Is he the assistant head coach? I'm thinking he's the assistant head coach, and so yeah, and he's been that for like ten years. Would you rather see just, somebody like that? I don't think the Bengals have anybody in house that I would promote to head coach. You lost, like I said, the two guys with Zimmer and Jackson, who I thought could be promoted from within. So it opened us up to something we haven't done since Marvin Lewis got to Cincinnati, and we have to start looking outside the organization for some new coaching talent. You hear that, T.J. Hushman's out of you. Still have a chance. <laughs> so Brian, we gotta go to you now. Picking up, putting down. Mar uh, Paul Gunther w could be a good head coach in Cincinnati if Marvin Lewis. And if you say putting it down, at least give a suggestion. Okay, um, I 
I, I'm kind of on the fence about it. I, I want to say picking it up and putting it down. Uh, the reason I say that is because putting down Marvin Lewis about the uh, the uh, the upstairs position. I mean, the first thing on that is uh, Dave Latham has said many, many times that those positions are, quote, reserved for family. Now, I know Marvin Lewis is almost considered like Bengals family, but his last name's not Brown, and it's not um, he's not right there with like Katie Blackburn or any of those people, you know, that already have those positions. So that's that's that. And Marvin Lewis would have to agree to be the general manager and then not come back to the football field. And I just picture him as a coach again it could just be my nearsightedness on this one but i don't think that he would agree to that i think that if he steps away from the Bengals, he steps away entirely uh picking up about paul gunther the Bengals love in-house candidates this goes back to my draft (laughs) this goes back to player development this goes back to everything i mean you look at ken zampezi he was passed over as offensive coordinator several times and then now he's going to be the offensive coordinator for being the quarterback's coach you know you're talking about uh so um so Gunther could be that guy, but one guy they just brought on, I um, was it uh, Hazlitt, the uh, uh, former Saints head coach, is now a linebackers coach. I think that's an interesting move that the Bengals made because with former head coaching experience, that might be the direction they're wanting to go anyway. But I believe if Gunther was given the position or at least was promoted to that position of head coach, that he would handle it very well because he is becoming a very well-respected coach inside the organization. And the fact that the success that Zimmer has had with the Vikings and uh, Gruden has had with the Washington Redskins, both taking his teams to uh, both winning their respective divisions and going to the playoffs, I think that would make Gunther a very hot coaching candidate, especially if the Bengals' defense is as good this year as it was last year. No, and I, and I agree. I mean, I think Paul Gunther would be the ideal candidate for the Bengals, especially if they are staying in-house. Um, I think it's still kind of one of those things that, to me, it might be a little bit still early for me to sit there and 100% say that this would be the guy. Uh, and, and I say that because there still have been the questions of, te- of player management. I mean, we saw that with uh, Adam Jones and Vontez Perfect at the end of the year last year. We saw that with Vontez Perfect in Week 17. We saw that with Demata Petko in the playoff game running onto the field and kind of giving one of the Steelers players a shove. And, and so we saw a lot of defensive guys almost act out. And so that kind of brings up the question of, uh, again, player management. Can he manage these players to be respectful, responsible, not hurt the team in a way that ultimately would hurt the team chances of winning. And so, uh, to me, I think Paul Gunther has the knowledge. I think he has the skill set. The only question that I would have would be the player management side of things, and that ultimately comes down to being probably one of the biggest responsibilities of a head coach is managing the players. So, um, I'm one that I like the guy. I'm picking it up from a standpoint of the Bengals love to do things in-house. I'm putting it down from the standpoint of I just think there's too many questions, though, with his player management style on whether or not he could truly be successful at the next level at head coach in the NFL. Just another like quick point on that. The last couple of times the Bengals have promoted a head coach from within, you got Bruce Coslett and Dick LeBeau, both great position coaches, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, terrible head coaches. Absolutely just abysmal as head coaches. So promoting from within doesn't always work well for Cincinnati. Very good point. Very, very good point. So Mike Tomlin, if you're looking for a job in 2017, we might be calling you. No, I'm kidding. 
Because uh, in Pittsburgh, it is literally, what have you done for me lately? And the fact that he he hasn't won a Super Bowl, of course, it's funny listening to the radio stations here. They will literally sit there and go, well, not Mike Tomlin's washed up, and we need to find somebody new who can get things done, and, and they need a new, new fresh ideas because obviously Mike Tomlin's isn't fully working. Forget the fact that your number one wide receiver was completely in, or number one, uh, I'm sorry, running back was completely and utterly knocked out for the season. Uh, let's not forget that, you know, this team as a whole, uh, Antonio Brown had a, obviously was completely knocked out of, of round two. Uh, but the fact that there's no Super Bowl ring in, in Pittsburgh for 2015 was, you know, supposedly Mike Tomlin's end, according to Yinzer fans in Pittsburgh. So, uh, but with that, again, thank you guys so much for joining us on short notice. This was our first attempt, and I'd say it's actually somewhat very successful attempt at bringing two people in at once. I need to get a little better at calling on people. There's a reason I'm not a teacher. Uh, Brian, obviously, you, you, you know that firsthand. Uh, so, uh, but thank you guys so much for coming on. Thank you guys so much for joining us on short notice. Again, follow us on Twitter, Men in Stripes, SH. Follow us on YouTube. Subscribe to the page. Please, please, please. We have seven guys who did subscribe. All of our 